He pitches his tents towards Sodom. After a while, he moves into Sodom. And by the end of his life, he's actually a leader in a city that is wicked. Now, the Bible calls him righteous law, which means he was a saved man. You might not have known that from the Old Testament, but God tells us divinely he was a saved man. But experientially, he was out of fellowship with God. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We've been looking at the various judgments that God will be delivering onto the earth during a time known as the Tribulation. Before examining the last judgment, the Seventh Bowl Judgment, Dr. Brogy, in a message entitled, The God of Judgment and Grace, has been looking at the state of society that will be in place when these judgments fall. One of the indications we get comes from 2 Peter chapter 2, which talks of a time marked by false teachers following their sensuality, and in which God condemns the sin of homosexuality, which will be prevalent during the judgments, and which is on the increase in our day. I want you to see something that ruined Jerusalem in Isaiah's day, and that is ruining America in our day. Isaiah 3 is one of the most distressing passages in the Bible. In Isaiah 3, 8, the prophet is lamenting, for Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their actions against, are against Yahweh, the Lord, to rebel against his glorious presence. The expression of their faces bears witness against them, and they display their sin like Sodom. They do not even conceal it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. Like Sodom and Gomorrah, Jerusalem in Ezekiel's day was not ashamed of their sin, but proud of it as we are now in America. What used to be an embarrassment to us, we talk about every day, we talk about as a person's rights, we laugh about it, we create movies with it, they did not even conceal it. Woe to them. Listen, 1 Corinthians 6 says, do not be deceived. So do not be deceived when Lauren Daigle comes out this week, the Dove Award winner, artist of the year for Christian music. And of course, she appeared on the Ellen Show. Nothing necessarily wrong with that. Jerry Falwell would appear on a lot of shows like that, and he would, I think, attack hell with a squirt gun, but he would stand for what was true, and he would defend what was right. And so after she appeared on the Ellen Show, she was interviewed on Monday by Dominique Natty, a national radio show, and she was asked the question by Dominique, do you think homosexuality is a sin? Listen, here's a national recording Christian artist that our young people and old people listen to. I can't honestly answer on that. In a sense, I have too many people that I love that they are homosexual. I don't know. I actually had a conversation with someone last night about it. I can't say one way or the other, I'm not God. Well, I'm here to tell you we're to love all people. But you love people by telling them the truth. Nancy Pelosi says that what I teach is hate speech. What she teaches is hate speech 
Because what she teaches is she's helping to lead people directly into the pit of hell with herself. When you don't tell people the truth, you are being hateful to those people. What God calls an abomination, don't sanction his right. Yes, Lauren Daigle, I am not God either, but I can tell you what God has written on the printed page of Scripture in this book, and homosexuality is a sin. Now, the gay flag flew over the crosses of many churches this week in Austin, Texas, and the conservative Christians rebelled against it. By conservative, I mean Bible-believing, because the city of Austin on Tuesday passed an ordinance requiring churches to hire transgender, homosexual, gay people as pastors or any other kind of employment. The city of Austin guarantees, and I quote the ordinance, the opportunity for each person to obtain employment without regard to race, color, religion, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, national origin, age, or disability. Now, the church has asked for an exemption. They said, we will not make an exemption. The mayor of Austin, Steve Adler, says, non-discrimination is a core value in Austin, and we will defend it. And so the U.S. Pastors Council, that happens to be based in Houston, Texas, filed a complaint in the U.S. federal court. You say, it won't ever happen. That's what we were saying as evangelicals when we said, gay couples will never be given insurance rights as a couple. That's what we said of gay couples when we said in the early 90s, gay couples won't be able to adopt little children. That's what we said in the early 2000s when we said, gay couples won't have the right to a civil union. That's what we said five years ago when we said, gay couples won't be able to be legally married. And if Miss Nancy has her way, she'll take away the tax-exempt status of churches like this. You want to preach the Bible? Fine, you preach homosexuality is a sin, no more tax-exempt status. That's, where, that's the next step. And it will be a short throw from there before they will call it hate speech. You say it will never happen. I am telling you things are happening that we thought would never happen. I took focus off the family, off our radio station this week. Not James Dobson. He left Focus. He has his own organization. Don't confuse the two. But they had a speaker on last month, Mark Batterson, the pastor of a large church in Washington, D.C., that has transgender, gay groups. They have small groups that are using books that are endorsing same-sex marriage. And they have them on their broadcast for two days. And I want to believe the best and thinking maybe they're just ignorant. Well, they're trying to win people to Christ. I said, you don't win people to Christ by having small groups that sanction same-sex marriage. I said, look, we'll keep you on. Just make a public apology that we had a pastor on and we gave endorsement to a church that is espousing wickedness and we'll keep you on. They would not do it. Goodbye, no more focus on the family. Who would have ever thought 
Things are happening that we thought would never happen. Peter warned us this day would come before the return of Jesus. 2 Peter 2.6, we are informed that God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. By reducing Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, God gave an example. He gave us a warning of what he thinks of sexual perversion. So do not be fooled by false teachers. They may tell you that the sin of sodomy is okay. Yes, First Baptist Church, Greenville, South Carolina, and two churches in this town do gay marriages, but they are wrong, my friends. It is an evil, and God hates it. In Genesis, now the men of Sodom were wicked, exceedingly, and sinners against the Lord. Peter tells us they were ungodly. Jude says they were given to fornication and going after strange flesh. Do not miss the point in all of this. Let me bring it in. Verse 2, 2 Peter 2. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth is maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. How can we be so sure, Peter, that God's going to really deal with these people? Because it appears like he's doing nothing. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and if God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter... In spite of Abraham's prayer and Lot's last-minute warning, God brought fire and brimstone across that place. Did they think judgment was going to come? Not at all. Right up, just like the people in those days, right up to the day, they thought everything was fine. Jesus said it was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planning, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. By the way, don't ever say that Jesus didn't speak against homosexuality. This is one of four passages where he did. This was a wickedness in his mind. Up to the very minute... And then suddenly destruction came. They were all destroyed. The apostle wants us to know, just as God did not spare them, nor will God spare these false teachers, or for that matter, anyone who follows after them. The angels who were judged, the people who perished in the flood, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah are examples of a judgment that is coming. And verse 9 tells us that God did all of this Notice, then the Lord knows, if he did all of this, then God knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. All right, I'm almost done, believe it or not. Point two, the true believer will experience the grace of God. The true believer will experience the grace of God. 
Peter's purpose is not just to denounce the apostates, but he wanted to encourage true believers. He wants to encourage us here in this fellowship this morning. And so throughout these illustrations of judgments, there's illustrations of grace. The first is God showed his grace when he rescued Noah. He showed his grace when he rescued Noah. Verse 5, he didn't spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now, Noah was a man of faith, and God preserved him It's not the word sozo to save, it's the word fedomai, it means to protect. God protected him really on two levels if you think about it. He preserved him in that he wasn't conformed to the culture around him. For 120 years he preached the word, the world got more and more wicked and more and more corrupt, but Noah wasn't influenced by that world. He was able to have an impact on his own three sons and their three daughters. It's an encouragement to me. He had an influence on his family, not by isolating them. He was very much in the the midst of it, but God gave him grace in the midst of that corruption. Jesus prayed this, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. He raised a godly family in the midst of a corrupt world. Yet this man's family was rescued from that corruption. It's obvious, but there's a second level in which God protected him, not just from the corruption of the pagan world around him, but from the judgment that followed. He was saved with seven others. And you would expect, as the Holy Spirit inspires Peter to write, he writes in a very logical way. I mean, think about it. First, he describes how God dealt with angels who committed a wicked sin in Noah's day. And now while we're thinking about Noah, let me talk about Noah. There's, there's a flow of thought here that the Spirit of God is expressing through the pen of the Apostle Peter. And so he speaks not just of the judgment in that day, but the salvation of that day. And if you remember his first letter, he tells us that the ark itself was a type, an illustration of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Genesis, the Bible says, God was grieved that he had made man on the earth. So God warned Noah, he built the ark. On that last day, he went into the ark, or he was there for several days, and and then God closed the door and sealed him in. And it's interesting, when God had him build the ark, he says, I want you to pitch the ark. And I want you to pitch it on the inside, and I want you to pitch it on the outside. And it's not the typical word that you would expect him to use for pitch. It's the word kafar. It's translated elsewhere in the Bible, atonement. I want you to put pitch on the inside and the outside, and the name of this pitch is called atonement. Now, the waters represented the judgments of God, but the judgment of God could not get through that atonement, through that pitch. He was sealed in. Just as when you're saved, you walk up the gangplank of salvation. You believe on the Lord Jesus, the only way into heaven. And the Bible says you're sealed with the Spirit for the day of redemption. You know, I meet some people who say you can lose your salvation. No, we're sealed for the day of redemption. You cannot be unsealed. And if you question them long enough, you really discover that they do believe in the doctrine of eternal security, just not now. They think, well, someday, when I die, I'll get into heaven, and I can wipe the brow on my forehead and say, I finally made it, now I'm saved forever. Listen, in the context, we're talking about angels who fell from heaven. Security is not found in a place. It's found in a person, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a good place for an amen. 
Peter wants us to understand that this judgment is real. But if you walk through the ark of safety, then you will be protected from this coming judgment. And those same waters that punished the people raised him up on top of a mountain to safety. And you will either drown in the waters of judgment or you will be saved by Christ, but there's no neutrality. Secondly, God showed his grace when he rescued Lot, when he rescued Lot. And if he rescued Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, not only did he rescue Noah, who walked with God, but he rescued Lot, who did not walk with God. Now, remember, there was a time when Abraham got out of fellowship with God. He went down to Egypt when he shouldn't have. And down in Egypt, he made some foolish decisions that he spent paying for for a long time. We're still paying for some of those decisions today. But down there in Egypt, his nephew Lot got a taste of the world. And so while Abraham got right and he got out of Egypt, he never got Egypt out of Lot. And if you remember, they had the cowboys in that day, a little bit of a range war of sorts, and they had to split the land in. And Lot made his decision, the Bible says, and that the land he chose reminded him of Egypt. And so the Bible says he chose to pitch his tents towards Sodom. And then after a while, you get kind of used to Sodom. You get used to a little filth on TV, so I'll go a little deeper in filth. And I get used to that filth, and I'll, I'll go into porn. Before you know it, you're a total pervert. He pitches his tents towards Sodom. After a while, he moves into Sodom. And by the end of his life, he's actually a leader in a city that is wicked. Now, the Bible calls him righteous lot which means he was a saved man. You might not have known that from the Old Testament, but God tells us divinely he was a saved man. But experientially, he was out of fellowship with God. And according to Abraham's intercession of the place in Genesis 18, if there were just 10 righteous people in the city, God would have spared it. Now, if Lot could have only influenced his own family, because if you read it in a literal English text, there was Mr. and Mrs. Lot, two unmarried daughters, two future sons-in-laws, at least two sons, it's plural, one married daughter with a spouse, total family connection, 10 people. If Lot could have just influenced his own family, God would have spared the place. Lot was a believer, but he paid a price for his sin when he chose to live in Sodom. Verse 8 tells us, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. There can't be peace in the heart of the true child of God when you are in a place that God calls wicked and you are compromised. He was tormented. He was distressed. You see, unlike Noah, who had no choice, and he raised his family. Lot had a choice. He chose to live in that place. He presumed on the grace of God Almighty. And in the end, he got his two daughters out, but he never got Sodom out of his two daughters. He was rescued, not because of his prayer, but because of Abraham's prayer. Abraham, outside of Sodom, had more influence than Lot did in Sodom. I really believe that God has given us both sides of the equation here to see a clear picture of his grace. On the one hand, you have Noah, 
who lived in a world where the Bible says they were continually evil, and yet he was blameless and he walked with God. He is much like those Christians today, sitting here today, who have no choice. You work in an office, a hospital, a factory, and a battalion, and you're surrounded by things that you'd rather not hear or see, and yet you're not presuming on God's grace, and God gives you the strength to walk through that. On the other hand, there's a whole lot of people today who are like Lot. They're making choices that they do not have to make. They're safe people, but they're choosing to engage in an unhealthy way in the world's environment. And so Lot was willing to give his two virgin daughters to be ravaged by those sodomite men. He presumed on the grace of God Almighty Now, God in His grace rescued Noah. God in His grace rescued Lot. Third, God shows His grace when He rescues you. In verse 9, Peter moves out of the illustration of the past, and he brings it to where we live today. If He saved Noah from water, if He saved Lot from fire, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. God can rescue you from temptation just like he rescued Noah. God can rescue you today. In a sense, Lot was rescued against his will. I mean, the angel had to drag him out by the hand. Pretty sad picture of a life. Now, how are we going to apply this today? Let me make three applications as we close. Number one, ask yourself honestly, am I a Noah kind of person? Am I a Noah kind of person? There's three classes of people living on the earth today. Am I a Noah kind of person? See, when Jesus returns, there will be the Noah types. We might call them a spirit-filled Christian. Noah loved God. Noah obeyed God. He was not perfect. None of us are. But obedience was the pattern of his life. And he was secure. He was sealed. He may have fallen down a few times in that ark. He never fell out of the ark. He was secure, and when it was all over, he went into a brand new world, and he received a full reward. God, in essence, would say to him, well done, thy good and faithful servant. He was loving, he was serving, he was looking, he was longing for God's will to be done in his life. Second, there is the lot kind of person. Ask yourself, am I I a lot kind of person? How did lot go to the mountains? Chapter 19 tells us the angels of Genesis had to drag him there. They dragged him by the hand, and most of his loved ones, including his own sons, sons-in-law, would not respond. With the exception of just two of his daughters, all the rest were left behind in the judgment there in Sodom. And though, again, while he was able to get those two daughters out, they were worldly. Years before, he had made a worldly decision by choosing to live in a place where God didn't really want him to live. And he typifies the backslidden, lukewarm Christian of our day. You say, Pastor, can a Christian go to hell? Of course not. But you can lose your reward when you get to heaven. And listen to me, Mr. Compromised Christian. You may lose your family. Lot's not enjoying his family in heaven today. He wasn't able to impact them. Maybe his two daughters will be there. And if Jesus came back today, some of you would crawl under the seat if the truth be told. Because your heart is like Lot. Third, and ask it honestly, am I a Lot's wife kind of person? 
There'll be a third class that will be present when Jesus returns. Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Lot's wife had her heart in the world. She longed for Sodom. And on the day when God judged those twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot's wife turned back, and in a moment, the Bible says she was turned into a pillar of salt. The angels had to drag her out, and they brought her right to the very edge of Sodom, and she looked back and went back. And today, Mrs. Lot is in hell. And God has brought some of you to the very edge of salvation, and he is wooing, and he is wanting you to be saved. And while you may not turn into a pillar of salt, your heart might, and you may come to a point where you will no longer hear the voice of God Almighty. I want to tell my lost friends today, that the Noah and the lots of this world who will be taken out before the great tribulation, there will other people who will be left behind, and that will turn into the lake of fire. Do you understand what Peter is saying? Do you understand the flow of thought here in the Revelation? I pushed the pause button today for a reason, because I want you to see that God is a God of grace and a God of judgment. If God didn't spare the people of Noah's day, but judge them, and if God didn't spare the the people of Lot's day, but judge them. If God didn't spare the angels, but judge them, God will judge every unbeliever. Now, God is also a God of grace. He is the unsparing God. And the Bible teaches us that God did not spare the angels. God did not spare the ancient world. God did not spare Lot's world. And the Bible also says God did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all. And if there was ever a time when God could be lenient towards sin, it's when his son was on that cross. But I want to tell you, if God did not spare his own son who became the substitute for your judgment, if you ignore him or reject him, neither will he spare you. And you will remember this sermon for all of eternity in hell if you do not respond. God is a God of judgment. He's a God of grace, and he's put before you today a man of God who in the Spirit of God is preaching the Word of God so that you can be saved, and you can be saved today if you will call upon Jesus. Now, our Holy Father, we thank you for amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came into the world to save sinners. Father, you've brought someone, I'm sure, within the sound of my voice who's really not truly in their heart of hearts born again. They've never had a life change. But thank you that you can deliver them from their sin and into new life. Help someone today, Father, to say, Lord Jesus, by your death and resurrection, I ask that you save me. I bring my sin to you for you to change it and for you to forgive me. Would you say that to him today? Now, some of us are like Mr. Lot. In everything that the man dreamed and schemed for in the end went up in smoke. And some of us are wasting our lives in the vain things of this world. Father, help us to guard our hearts against the carnality of Lot. 
Help us, Holy Father, to walk in righteousness until the end. And we ask it in Jesus' name and for his honor. Amen. To listen again to this message in its entirety, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV45. Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. For more information, call 877-787-7478. Thank you. Tomorrow we begin to look at the seventh bowl judgment. Join us then as we search the scriptures. Mm-hmm.